Welcome to Office Baggage, where two corporate women unpack our week in business. Every week, co-hosts Ray Parent and Marcy Tweet tackle the WTF business topics you want to talk about on every rung of the business ladder. Bring your baggage. We'll We'll unpack it. This week on Office Baggage, I'm talking with JT O'Donnell, CEO of Work It Daily. JT and I break down the truth about grief in job loss, how to tackle it, how to get to that next level, and why it's so normal for all of us to experience. So I'm joined today, really excited to have her on the podcast, someone I've known for a lot of years in a couple of different lives, JT O'Donnell from Work It Daily. JT, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Marcy. It's so good to be connecting with you again. So we're going to talk about some really germane topics in this time of COVID-19 about job loss and job grief. But before we get there, for our listeners who may not be familiar with Work It Daily, give us the rundown on who you all are, what you do, and how people can get in touch with you. I have to be honest. It's that's a great question. I don't know that we've still figured out the best way to describe <laughs> ourselves. Uh, I tell people these days, the latest thing is, you know what Peloton is? The Peloton app. You know, we're like Peloton for your job search and your career. And they go, oh, Ooh. I think I kind of get it. Uh, the reality is, is we're we're just a career coaching service that is fully virtual. So people will subscribe, they'll either buy a one-time monthly fee or they'll subscribe for the year, they'll get in there, they'll work with the career coaches through direct messaging. We have a phone app, our very own phone app. I joke that we're like the ideal career coaching for social distancing because you (laughs) you don't have to meet us in person, yet you can access us anytime in your back pocket, you know, it's sort of perfect. But yeah, the goal really was to just level the playing field and, you know, drop the financial barriers and the physical barriers to getting good career coaching. The long and short of it is I graduated and they said, oh, go work with executives and charge high prices. And that didn't sit with me. I just felt like everyone needed access to this stuff. School teaches you everything except how to get a job and build a career. And how were people going to get good quality advice at an affordable price? So if that's what you need, you need a competitive edge, then we're the people you come to. Well, it's great. I uh, Somebody we had on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago, Alexis Gladstone, we talked about professional development in the workplace. And one of the things that we talked about is that women um, do not often ask for professional development dollars at the same amount that men will. When men get criticized, they often go and say, okay, great, pay for me to have a coach. And women often pay for it ourselves. So your um, platform gives... Uh, all genders, but women especially, I hope, the opportunity to have this democratized access to coaching that doesn't cost an arm and a leg if you're not willing to ask your company to pay for it or they're not willing to pay for it. That was the idea because we see that a lot. And we have people in 16 countries now. So, you know, people are finding it and saying, okay, I can do this. And I think there's something of portability to it too, right? If you don't, if you want to leave your employer, we can show you how to do that. <laughs> I hate to say it. And Absolutely. you can do that and take the coaching with you. Whereas, you know, if they're paying for it, it's over when you leave. Fantastic. Well, let's jump into the topic at hand. Something that's been top of mind to all of us as we've thought about our own jobs, as we've watched our spouses' jobs, our our friends, our families' jobs over the last few weeks and months be more unstable. Even for those of us who are in 
stable, good jobs. Of course, we're nervous. Of course, we're thinking about our companies and where, where we are. And, and really, it's not just COVID-19. At one time in our lives, all of us have left a job, whether you leave because you're taking the next step or you're laid off or even fired. In those situations, what no one often talks about is the grief associated with job change and job loss. And even in a time like this, in a pandemic, we hear people say, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get to the next thing. And we don't take enough time. So let's start there with 30 million people in the US. I, I think that's the number we're most recently working off of filing for unemployment because of this crisis. How do you process grief during this kind of time? Right. Well, you know, people ask, is it, is it similar to Kubler-Ross? And if everybody knows the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, there's um, denial and anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I would say, yes, we absolutely go through those stages. But I think we first have to talk about where does the grief come from? And what I point out to people is that this grief comes from an expectation or an assumption that isn't met. So, right. So you want to be happy, you want to have a job, and suddenly you don't. So your mindset, your perception, it's been not just shifted, it's been ripped out from you. And that's scary. That puts you in a, a really scary place. And so, you know, everyone, we don't, there's not a single person we don't know that isn't dealing with some kind of grief. And for a large percentage of them, some kind of career related grief right now, because it will never be the same again. If you were somebody that thrived going to an office and you can't go to an office anymore, that's a problem. We've all know somebody who's lost a job. Your workload's changed. Everything has changed. And so when expectations are so dramatically shifted, expect grief. And, and I think it's important for everyone to just own that for a moment. Just sit with that, everyone that's listening today. It's okay. Everyone has it. It's interesting because it's a word that we pair with a lot of places in our lives, but we don't often pair in our careers. And how... I think about if someone has lost a parent or um, a friend, right? They're grieving. They are given so much. There's so much space that you give people when they go through something like that of let it go for a while. They're grieving. And I don't feel like we do that with jobs. We don't give people the space and time to grieve and to take the time to go through those stages. I totally agree with you. And I think part of that has to do with society has had us wrap up our identity so tightly in career. I mean, those four little words, what do you do when strung together, create so much anxiety because we want to answer that in a way that impresses other people. We know it because we judge other people. When they answer that question and they tell us I'm an accountant or I'm a this or that, our brain goes into you know Rolodex mode. Who do I know that's an accountant? What do I think of accountants? What do I think of this person? So if we know we're doing that, we know other people are doing that to us. When there's a dramatic career shift, all of a sudden that's all being challenged. What will my reputation be? What will people think of me? It is such a big deal. And you're right. We are not giving people the space to work through it. They're burying it. And I think that's even worse because when you bury it and you don't address it, you're not in a good frame of mind and you make more mistakes. It's interesting when, when I think myself about the last couple of career transitions that I went through, um, one back way back in the day when you and I had known each other, when I closed my business to go back to the corporate sector, I didn't even know I had the grief to process from my business. It was a, a year later in therapy that I realized how damaged it 
damaging it was to admit that you had failed at something. I now look back on that process and I, I don't see it as a failure, but at the time I did. And, and same thing, you know, when I left my, the corporate sector and, and went out on my own, a lot of people ask the question like, well, where are you going next? What's happening to you next? Where are you going to take a new job? And even having to take that time and space to process, it feels so incredibly alone and I'm cognizant that if I felt alone in that process where I had friends, family, my husband, all these people around me, how alone must people feel today being in literal quarantine, a lot of people being physically and, and mentally alone? How would you advise someone to reach out to sort of change their circumstances in, in a layoff or a furlough during a pandemic like this. Yeah. So you just said something so important about the feeling of being alone. If anyone listening is feeling that way, the first thing you do is stop being alone. That's just that simple act of saying, I just need to, to talk this out with somebody and they don't even need to give me advice. I just need to say this out loud to another human being is very, very important. And I think that's the first step everyone needs to take. Call someone and say, look, I don't want you to respond. I just need to say this out loud and get it out. If you don't have that, then the second thing you do is take pen to paper or grab your computer and just let it all out, write it all out, get it all out of your head and into some sort of organized thought. The second thing that I teach people to do is to stop thinking that you failed. I hate the term failure. I hate it. Yeah. We say experiments never fail. Nobody goes into anything. Like when you started your business, did you intentionally going, go in thinking that it was going to end up where it was? No, we all make the best decisions we can at the time with the information we had. No one predicted COVID-19. Nobody predicted this would go on like this. So you can't beat yourself up for circumstances that were beyond your control and things that you didn't know at a time. What you can say is, I own my actions. They are what they are. Okay, now let me, let me make some good out of this thing. What can mm -hmm. I learn? What have I learned? All right, as long as I can recognize I've taken something from that experience, I've used the power of it. And it can't be a failure if I've used the power. And so there's a lot of reframing, I guess, that I'm saying mm -hmm. that needs to go on, whether you can do that yourself or with someone else, that becomes hugely important. Because until you reframe what you're saying, uh, certainly before, until you talk to somebody, but then until you reframe what you're saying, you're not going to make some progress here. Well, and, and don't you think it's interesting? It's kind of the mountain into a molehill, right? When Whenever any of us leave a job in a way that we don't like or that whether it's layoff or or furloughed or fired or, or whatever that might be, you fear the interview question, right? That's coming about that job. And the truth is no one cares, right? And especially right now, there's this blip on anyone's resume, right? Nobody, everybody's going to go, they oh, I do not care. It's so funny you say that. It's one of the most common questions I get in the platform. JT, how am I going to explain You're going to say COVID-19. No, I mean, it's yeah. just, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, nobody's going to question that at all. They are not. They are not. But you said something interesting. People get nervous. And, you know, there's so much in communication that is uh, voice tone, voice pace, facial expressions, body language. So if you aren't at peace with what you're mm -hmm. saying, you will project the wrong thing. And right. you will make people question. And, and you and I both know from our interviewing days, you can tell when somebody is coming across like they're insecure or hiding something. And instead of letting it pass, what do we do? We get in there. So yeah. where is this coming from? We want to get to the bottom of it. Were you fired? Was it something dramatic? So I would tell everyone that 
that's listening, if you are having these feelings of fear around how you're going to answer this question, you need to talk it out. You need to write it out. You need to have a very objective story. We tell people follow the process of experience, learn, and grow. So be really factual. What did you experience? Oh, I got laid off. So did, you know, 30 million other people. Mm-hmm. This is what I learned about layoffs. Having never been laid off before, it, I don't like it. It doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel like I did something wrong, even though I didn't. And here's how I've grown. I know that I need to own it. And now I'm just focused on finding that next job and getting this behind me because I'm uncomfortable and I want to be working. Pretty easy answer there. Yeah. Very real, very um, transparent. And if you and I both heard that, we'd be like, yep, got it. Absolutely. Okay, moving on. Yeah. But if you don't have an answer to that question that feels right, they will push back. And feels authentic, right? Mm -hmm. That it's, you also don't want to go in and say, you know, I got laid off. It's okay. I'm totally fine. Let's go forward. Right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. I know. I mean, we know it's, if you're interviewing someone in this situation, we know it sucks. We know that this was Mm -hmm. awful. I think feel free to say, right? This was the Mm -hmm. hardest thing that's happened in my career. I'm, I'm struggling to get through it, but I'm doing the best I can. I agree. Vulnerability is key. It doesn't need to be excessive, but to your point, you can't act like nothing happened here. Yeah. So one of the things that I've been so frustrated with during this pandemic is the bevy of memes and articles that imply we should all be creating genius, JT. There's the, <laughs> you know, Isaac Newton discovered gravity during a plague. What are you doing today? It, this sucks. This is not easy, especially for people who've just been furloughed. So how do we take the pressure off those folks when, you know, common courtesy and, and even, you know, if I got laid off, my dad would say, rub some dirt on it and get up and figure yourself out. You know, how do we give people grace and time and not expect them to, you know, start the next Facebook because they got laid off. Okay. So I'm so with you on it. And also I had a dad just like that too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this whole over positivity thing, I'm, I'm not a fan of it either. When this all first hit, I actually had a guy named Trevor Moad on my podcast um, talking about his book, It Takes What It Takes. And Trevor has been training athletes for many years. And his dad was this kind of positive um, speaker. He grew up in that whole um, positive mindset teaching sort of thing. And he always had an issue with it. He said, how do you go from negative to positive? He's like, it's like taking a car in reverse and just skipping past neutral into drive. You can't do it. So in his book, he started talking about this idea of neutral thinking and I fell in love with it. And I was actually pretty jealous. I'm like, how did I not think of this? It makes so much sense. You don't have to be positive right now, but just get yourself to net neutral. You know, when you catch yourself in that complete funk saying these overly dramatic statements, um, you need to stop that. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of people out there creating negative um, future fiction. So you are telling these ridiculously overly negative stories like, I will never get a job. My career is ruined. My life is over. I'm going to lose everything and I'm a failure. None of that is true. But I guarantee everybody listening to this has probably had one of those pop into their head. It's this negative future fiction. That needs to stop. And that's what they're really, I think, trying to say. But you don't need to go straight to positive. Just get to neutral. You know, just just talk accurately for a while to yourself and that will be better. That is going on my book list. It takes what it takes. I'll link it in the show notes as well. I've it's listened to it three times. <laughs> I um, I listened to one of my favorite podcasts, Adam Grant's Work Life podcast. And have you listened to the most recent episode? 
Are you kidding? I listened to both of them last night and then shot Adam an email. Not oh even kidding. God. Not even kidding. Well, mind blown. <laughs> similar to this, the um, uh, I always forget which of the Kelly brothers he had on. Is it Mark Kelly or or the other Kelly? One of the astronauts. And he, he had said, the astronaut on, and it was incredible. He yeah. said during his time in space, he scheduled himself time to worry. Yeah. And yep. it just, that's, it's exactly what you're saying. You can't be in that all the time. You've mm-hmm. got to shift yourself into neutral. Give yourself 15 minutes. Let yourself worry. Let yourself put all the crap on the page that you're concerned about and then get rid of it and shift into neutral and give yourself some space and some grace. Absolutely. And he also talked about the fact that he would then tag on to that. Um, how could it be worse? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the, out of looking at what could be worse actually brings gratitude, right? <laughs> it's, it's a form of gratitude and it was genius. He yeah. said, well, yeah, at least, at least this isn't happening. And you go, wow, okay, that's a good point. I just, uh, that whole episode was fantastic in yeah, helping I, people understand to manage this better. I just loved it. He talked about, it was Scott Kelly. I always get their names confused because Scott and Mark Kelly are brothers. And he talked about finding out that his sister-in-law, Gabby Giffords, had been shot while in space. Can you imagine feeling and, more powerless? And being told that she didn't make it. Yes. Being too. Told and he's in dead. space and completely oh. helpless. Like, how do you bring your your thoughts into alignment? Um, mm-hmm. And again, he I think he did a great job in that, just talking about getting neutral. It's, yeah, Absolutely. Fantastic. I'll link that in our show notes so people have it as well. I think I've talked about that on the podcast already this month because it was such a great episode. It was episode. so good. Um, so once you've gotten yourself to that space of neutral and you're giving yourself that space, how do you counsel people to then build momentum and get things done? One of You and I talked about this before we started recording. There's this sense in our mind of, well, I'll just wait until people start hiring again. Should people go back to the resume grind, start applying for things, you know, go into networking mode and build that momentum now, or should they wait? No. So the reality is, is that when this is over, there'll be a a hidden job market. So, and this is an interesting thing that has only just happened. Prior to 2008, we weren't fully on the internet. Not every company was posting Mm -hmm. jobs on the internet. 2008 recession was the first time that every company posted a job on the internet. So what happened was come 2009, we start to rebounce back. A company would post a job and get a thousand applicants in an hour. I remember talking to somebody at Martha Stewart. They put one up, got over a thousand applicants in an hour, took it down and started getting calls from angry job seekers saying, where did it go? How do I get my shot? And this was when recruiters realized, oh my gosh, we we can't possibly respond to all these people. Mm -hmm. So what will happen now is companies will not post these jobs publicly. They won't be on LinkedIn. They won't be on Indeed or Glassdoor. They will go very quietly on the company's career page for the people that follow them. So now companies are saying people who follow our brand, love us, really want to work for us, will know to go check out our careers page. And even more importantly, they will distribute it internally and let people at the company refer people in. So you've heard that, you know, 80% of all jobs are gotten via referral. Lou Adler, the godfather of recruiting on LinkedIn, says it's now to 85%. That's going to go even higher because your network is your net worth right now. So why wouldn't Mm. you be connecting with people right now, not asking for a job, 
but I sure as heck would be messaging people, seeing if they want to, you know, grab a virtual coffee, sending them an article that they think is interesting. Just, you know, get in front of your network and remind them that you're there and what you, what you are interested in. What is your problem that you solve? What's your industry? Just start getting that back in their brain so that when it's time, you have a really strong bucket list. This is another thing we teach people. Everyone should have a bucket list. What are the 20 or 30 companies you want to work for that hire for your skill set and why, and then start checking their web pages, building out your network so that when you are job seeking, it's very intentional and it's yeah. more like job shopping instead of, you know, taking what's out there because you will not get called if you apply online later on. It's just too much competition. Yeah. It's going, you're going to have to go around it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'd also say to people and, and tell me if you agree to consider the freelance market if they haven't before. I think there will be more opportunity for freelancers. And I say that not just as a solopreneur and as a, as a sort of freelance folk, but um, there will be more opportunity because it will be harder for corporations, especially to get job requisitions approved, but they may be able to hire a contractor for a short time. That's another way in the door, a foot in the door at some of these companies. You're absolutely right. So my, I launched my HR career in the staffing industry before I started working daily. And we know for a fact that the first place we see job surge there is with the staffing companies because companies don't want to hire full-time employees again until they know they can keep them. So they go and say, all right, well, let's use contract workers, like you said, easier to get it approved. And the temp to hire situation comes along. You've mm -hmm. all of a sudden you've been there 90 days and they're saying, no, this is a permanent rule. Do you want to come on permanently? So to your point, finding the niche staffing companies in your area that are for your skill set and building those relationships now is another great idea. Yeah. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about people who are specifically dealing with furlough and not necessarily layoff because even if you're furloughed and told that at the end of this, you're coming back, you're still dealing with the grief and you're still thinking about it. So if in theory, at the end of all of this, you can return to a semblance of normality, whether that exists or not, how do you advise people to avoid feeling resentful or angry about being furloughed when they're brought back? Right. You know, it's interesting. In the beginning, we talked a lot about this. We seem to be talking about it a lot less because of how long this is dragging on mm -hmm. to the point that more people have said to me, you know, I was angry initially, JT, talk about the stages of career grief. Now I'm in bargaining mode. Yeah. Now I'm just, I'll just be happy to go back. Whereas if it was a couple of weeks ago, I might've, you know, been angry and resentful. Now I, I just want to go back. And so I'm seeing more of that. But I think if you are having any feelings you, it's really important to, again, talk them through, not necessarily with your employer, because your employer's just been through a lot too. I think people don't understand how everyone suffers in this situation. Nobody enjoys furloughing. Nobody yeah. enjoys those, those decisions. They carry that with them forever, that they caused families, you know, extended families harm. So um, those people are suffering. And I think you have to find your way to look at the bigger picture and say, all right, I, this is at least I have a job. And now what I want to do is build my future vision of what's possible. What I think is interesting, not to kind of pivot here is, but I think about self-actualization and how we kind of go up the, the chain mm -hmm. as we um, establish and have, you know, a more consistency in our job and better pay rates and more power. What I think we're going to have is a lot of depression as people stumble backwards. Because it's now they're so go interesting that you, I just had this conversation on a freaking, on a happy hour, frankly, with a group of friends 
And the conversation that we had, one of the things that I found frustrating this during this time is the kind of, um, I don't know how, what you'd call it of like privilege, privilege mocking, or, you know, you're not allowed to feel like crap because (laughs) you have a house and outdoor space and your Mm -hmm. family's healthy and all of these things. But the thing that when you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs is if you are in that safety and physiological needs section where you are truly worried about a roof over your head, food on the table for your family, having that taken away is devastating. But if, if you haven't worried about th- those things and you've been in that sort of self-actualization and esteem, suddenly losing coworkers, losing friends is going to feel as dire to you as it does to someone else who's worried about shelter. It's so funny that you say that because it just, that's the thing that bothers me is we want to compare our, of course, someone who's lost their job and can't put food on their table is more in pain than someone who's lost their job and has a savings account. But it's all about the delta between Mm -hmm. where you were and where you are now. It truly is. And I think we have to be sensitive to that, that everybody, this goes back to career grief, everybody's feeling something and we shouldn't be discounting their feelings just because they're at a different level. Everyone's tumbling backwards. Yeah. No matter what, even if you have, even if you have a job, you're learning to work in this environment, you're learning to lead in this environment, whatever that, that might look like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for those people who are furloughed, how do you balance the loyalty to your company during this time? Should they be job searching just in case? Should they remain loyal to their company? How do you, how do you work that out in your head? Yeah. So one of the things we teach at Working Daily is you are no longer an employee. Even if you have a full-time job, you're a business of one, you're a service provider. And if we can start to look at us as, and the business principles that we know and understand, this isn't rocket science. All of us have bought and things. We understand basic business. We know that if we're in a contract and all of a sudden one party can't deliver on that contract, we have to sustain ourselves. And that means we have to go look for alternative contracts and customers. So I would tell every furloughed person out there right now, you should be looking for a job. Yeah. One, because there's a really good chance that it won't be there, that the contraction will be permanent. That's just what a lot of people are talking about now. Uh, But two, because it's your business. It's your business of one to run. And you are going to be so upset with yourself if you sit around and don't take action only to find out they aren't going to bring you back. You're going to say, why did I waste that time? Why didn't I do something? Why it wasn't so more more proactive, which then is going to put you not in a good mindset for looking for work. So that's Mm -hmm. another reason to do it. Be preemptive, be proactive. If you land a job, cross that bridge when you get to it, whether or not you should take it or stay with your employer. But honestly, my advice is to definitely go for it. Yeah. The company can't love you back. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I've heard so many people saying, well, you know, they furloughed us, but they're going to bring us back. And I feel like I've, I've got to be loyal because they're continuing to pay our health insurance or they're continuing to do this. And, you know, you can love that company, but it cannot love you back. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And there may be an opportunity for you to go back, but in the interim, you have to do what's right for your business of one to keep your business of one in business. And that's really the key. Yeah. So the other thing that I've noticed a trend of, and you know, as I work in this, this corporate responsibility space, I've, I've been doing a lot of thought and 
talking to a lot of people about ethics right now. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of companies show their true colors through this time of crisis and some in really good ways where we've thought, wow, they've gone above and beyond. I have a, a friend's company who's doing well during this time and gave all of their employees a thousand dollar bonus, nice job company. Um, but we've also seen companies laying people off via email, laying people off on a five minute conference call. Um, when you go through something like that, and you not only feel like you've been laid off, but that the company has, you know, truly slapped you in the face. How do you turn around then and find a company that is a, a better fit for your values, a better fit for you ethically and, and not, I don't want to say make the same mistake again, but how do you find that company that you feel like won't be that way in the future? Yeah, it's such a great question. You know, it's funny. um, We've been talking about employer brand in the recruiting space for many years, but I would say a lot of people haven't fully understood it. And the fact is that every company that has employees has an employer brand, and that is the employee experience. And now more than ever, it's important that companies share that and almost create a fishbowl effect so that people can understand what it's like to work there. One, because it'll make sure they'll get the right people. Every mm-hmm. every company's different, and you need to find the one that's right for you. There's a reason for that. You know, Amazon's different than Google, than Facebook, than you know. We know that because their brands are so prevalent. We understand how different they are. But every company has that. So, I think you're right, and I think we're going to see post this. You're going to see a lot of Glassdoor reviews, mm-hmm. a lot of Indeed reviews a lot of discussion on social media. It's very easy to get a pulse on how a company handled this crisis just by following all their social media accounts, which I strongly encourage people to do. And I think you have to step back and say, you know, what am I looking for in an employer and how they handled it? And, you know, were they respectful? At the same time though, I caution people to try to understand what it's like to run a business in a time where no one ever planned for this. And businesses will make mistakes. Businesses aren't perfect. Business leaders aren't perfect. As you mentioned, we're all under stress and duress. So, you know, there's not going to be, I don't think we're going to find companies that were absolutely perfect in the way they handled this. So be realistic in your expectations, but watch what they do after. Watch whether they own their mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, Very recently, the CEO of Redfin put out a three-part article series on his experiences right now as he's going through and he quickly owns the mistakes he makes and he brings in um, examples of when employees made him aware of things and i thought it was so well done because he's just showing you hey this is where we're at this is what happened this is what we could have done better and i love it and i think you know that's the kind of employer branding you're Mm going to want to see a lot more of and again, if you were following them and thinking about them as, a, as an employer, you would have seen this piece and had a real insight into what, how management's thinking and what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I think there was a lot of um, tendency at the beginning of this to come out for CEOs and to say, we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to be okay. Don't worry. We've got your back. Well, that changes a month in. And it changes two months in and it changes three months in. And, you know, I think that's the, the biggest thing. I, I've, I've said this on the podcast before, but it, it begs repeating. My, um, one of my favorite professors at Kellogg, Harry Kramer, former CEO of Baxter, always says his three-step process for crisis is tell them what you know, 
tell them what you don't know, and tell them when you will tell them what you don't know. And the hard thing though on that is sometimes CEOs think they know and they don't. And so that's really hard if your CEO has said, everybody's safe, don't worry about it. And then a month later, they have to do layoffs. I totally agree. I'm flipping this around on you though, because I want to ask you this. A couple of them came out early and said, we're not going to lay off anyone ever. And I cringed. What did you, what was your reaction to that? What did you think? Well, I think it depends on, on where the company is. So for instance, Bill McDermott, who's one of my favorite CEOs, um, former CEO of SAP now at ServiceNow came out and said, we will not make layoffs in 2020 to give. And he, he put out a long letter about it. And he said, we know that we are well-resourced enough. They're venture and PE backed, I believe. Um, We are well-resourced enough that we know even if we landed no clients the rest of this year, we'd be okay. I want my employees to continue to work at their highest level that they can during this pandemic without worry. And I'm going to let you know that we've got the money in the bank. We're okay. In that sense, if Bill, I, I know enough about Bill McDermott that if he didn't have the backing of his investors and the people who backed that company to know the long-term play, he wouldn't have said it. And they're staying with it. I think that is a well-thought-out approach saying we're not going to lay people off. Then the other side of that is, is you know, CEOs, is, Sephora's gotten dragged through a lot, right? That on Friday, their CEO said no layoffs. And the next Monday or Tuesday, they laid everybody off on a conference call, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are, it to me depends on, are you speaking off the cuff or are you truly saying, this is the decision we've made for this company, we'll reevaluate again in January? It depends. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, I, the ones that said it, I, I went, I just went, Ooh, wow, gosh, you don't want to have to come back on that one. But you know, I think we're well, going to see it in some cases. It's funny. I talked to a friend of a friend, I talked to a friend and she was not referring about her situation, but a friend of hers has an employee right now who he was going to let go. And now they've kind of said, we're not doing any layoffs and productivity's low. This person hasn't been doing great. And he's like, I can't do anything. Like he, he, he was ready and had the approval to let this person go and rehire. And, you know, so I do think there's sort of keeping the status quo for 2020 works in some cases, but it doesn't in others. Yeah. 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 Which again, comes down to old co, new co. I think so many mm-hmm. people are trying to figure out what their new company looks like now based on where we're at and, you know, what kind yeah. of framework. Well, and it's fun, it, it's fun to see, you know, it's a terrible thing to happen to all of us, but never let a good crisis go to waste. It will be really fun to see the good that comes out of all of this in terms of more flexibility, work from home. You know, I, I think, I don't know who said it. I, I feel like maybe it was something that you had, had posted on LinkedIn that said the future of work is that an office will be a perk. Mm-hmm. And I just, it's such a weird thing to twist in our mind from the last five, 10 years, 20 years ago when working from home was, you know, even asking to work from home was sometimes seen as a negative for. I mean, up until a couple months ago, there were still companies that didn't believe in it. And now they're demanding everybody work remotely. So how strange is that? But I think (laughs) we we also don't know how that's going to shift too. I mean, for all of us that think it's novel to work from home, I know for me, for example, I'm having a hard time shutting it off. I liked going to an office and knowing that I could come home. Whereas if I wake up at one, my brain goes, oh, you're at the office. Here we go. So I'm working through my own struggles of how to properly shut off when my office is my home. 
It's funny. I um I work from home normally, but I also work from a really great co-working space. I work out of the wing in Chicago. Oh, nice. And the wing is bright and airy and, you know, all kinds of bright colors. And I find I'm so creative there. And my house is a very neutral space. I have a lot of, you know, muted tones. I actually did. I have a friend of a friend who's a Reiki and Feng Shui specialist. And I did a tour of my house with her on video a few weeks ago. And she said, she's like, you need to bring more fire into your house and that will help your creativity. And I moved a bunch of things around. I put more color around me. Um, I have my Hillary Clinton book, my autographed Hillary Clinton book sitting right to my left. And it's like, I do feel more creative now. So we've all had to adjust because I've always been like, I could work from home if I needed to do a few things for a few hours, but I would rather be at my co-working space. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm learning to like it. Yeah. It was the other thing too, is giving up offices. That was always a big status symbol for companies yes. having beautiful offices. And now, you know, I, I think that it would be, it would almost look indulgent mm -hmm. <laughs> all of a sudden to have that kind of space. Well, it's fascinating. You hear still about Chicago of some people signing, I forget who it was. Somebody signed a big lease at a big downtown office. And I thought, who in the world is signing leases right yep. now? What are you doing? It's insane. Yeah. Or Twitter announcing everybody can work for anywhere. I saw more jokes on social media about people in San Francisco saying they're going to move to the Midwest and yes. be millionaires because, they, I mean, what I thought was funny is they think they're going to get their same salary living, you know, in another part of the country. But that was the first thought they all had was how yeah. to profit by relocating. Oh, so many of these people. I have friends who took jobs after business school in San Francisco and have not been able to close on houses and things like that because the market's so competitive. They're all coming home. Mm -hmm. They're all coming home and working from home, which is great for, for them. Well, this has been so terrific to have you on the podcast, JT. Thank you for sharing with us your nuggets of wisdom on, on grief and, and all things COVID-19. Um, I will link Work It Daily in our show notes and a bunch of the things that we talked about so that people have them. Um, but thank you so much. It's so good to see you and wonderful to have you with us. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. And I hope everyone stays safe and healthy.